if it's a new moon, if it's a full moon, Jewish holidays are bound to begin. The Hebrew calendar is a complicated intercalculation between the solar and lunar new year. And so when there is a new moon, the new Hebrew month has begun, and certain holidays like Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, uh, are marked. And when it is a full moon, it is the middle of the month, and holidays uh, also begin in the middle of the month. We recently celebrated on the Jewish calendar the holiday of Purim, which is, as many of you know, the fanciful story of Jews in Persia who are saved from a uh, evil prime minister uh, by their own wit and their own faith in God. And the completion of that one-day celebration reminds us that Passover is only a lunar cycle away. And so we are coming up in the Jewish world to the observation of Passover, the feasting for freedom. And so this morning, I want to chat with you about some of the history and some of the uh, traditions of Passover and some of the meanings of the Passover story. Passover, known in Pesach, known in Hebrew as Pesach, celebrates the exodus of the Israelites, and it begins on the 15th of the Hebrew month of Nisan and continues for seven days, according to the Torah, through the 21st of Nisan. Though many diaspora communities, communities living outside the land of Israel, celebrated for eight days, as has become the rabbinic tradition. The name Passover is taken from the Exodus story. During the 10th and the ultimate plague inflicted on Pharaoh to break his will, God, the Torah tells us, passed over the Israelites and struck down only the Egyptian firstborn. That night, Pharaoh finally agreed to let the Israelites go. And ever since then, Jews gathered together on that night to commemorate that moment and to contemplate the meaning of being freed by the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the Holy One. The central meaning of Passover is liberation, and hence it is also called in Hebrew, Zaman Cherutenu, the season of our liberation. But not only does Passover have two Hebrew names, Pesach and Zaman Cherutenu, there is another name for Passover, Chag Aviv, the holiday of spring. The Jewish calendar is set so that certain holidays always occur in particular seasons of the year. Unlike, for instance, the Muslim calendar, which is purely a lunar calendar and can have Ramadan occur in the summer and the fall, um, late fall, early fall, there's no clarity about when it would come. Thus, the holiday of liberation is also the holiday of spring, not simply by coincidence, but by design. Following the bleakness of winter, especially here in Canada, when everything is covered with shrouds of snow, spring marks the rebirth of the earth with the bursting forth of green life. Similarly, a people enshackled in oppressive slavery, doomed to a slow process of 
degradation, or even extinction bursts forth out of Egypt into a new life's journey leading to a land flowing with milk and honey. The watchwords of both spring and Pesach are rebirth and hope. Thus, the spirit of renewed optimism aroused by the sights and smells of spring are reinforced in a Jewish context by Passover, with its trumpeting of the possibilities of liberation. Passover reminds us annually that no matter how terrible our situation, we must not lose hope. Passover holds out the possibility of renewal, proclaiming that such change is an intrinsic component to human nature, as are blossoming trees to the natural world. Of course, not only are there three names for Passover, but there is a fourth name, Hag Hamatzot, the holiday of the unleavened bread. The matzah evokes images of the night when the Israelites ate the sacrificial lamb in fearful and eager anticipation of the future, and around them rose, arose the wails of the Egyptians mourning the death of their firstborn. Suddenly, the word came from Moses to hurry forth. The Israelites had no time to let the dough rise for bread, says the Torah. So they carried with them this unleavened bread, matzah, as their only provision. Matzah, therefore, is a symbol of liberation, meant to trigger in the mind the whole story, which began in slavery and ended in freedom. It also reminds us of God's role in the Exodus, for it recalls the simple faith of the Israelites, who were willing to leave home that they knew, Egypt, and go off into the desert into a land that they knew nothing of. Having seen God's redemptive power, they trusted in his promise. As his people, they were willing to follow him, as Jeremiah 2, 2 says, into an unsown land. It is this act of redemption by God that establishes the covenant between Israel and God. Prior to the Exodus, the covenantal relationship existed only between God and individuals, between God and Abraham, between God and Isaac, between God and Jacob, and yes, even between God and the patriarch spouses, the matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. Passover marks the beginning of the relationship between God and the Jewish people. God's claim to the covenant lies in his having fulfilled his promise to bring us out of Egypt. Having redeemed us, God promises in Exodus 6-7, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. Of course, that is repeated in the opening words of the Aserotah de Brot, the opening words of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt. You shall have no other gods but me. This covenantal relationship lies at the heart of the celebration of Passover. We rejoice for the past liberation from Egypt and for other redemptions by God since then. And because of the fulfillment of past promises, we anticipate at Passover the future final redemption. 
That is why we create a special role for the prophet Elijah at the Passover dinner known as the Seder. The cup of Elijah, a cup which sits at the center of the table, filled with wine in anticipation of Elijah, the harbinger of the Messiah, is the symbol of our faith in the redemption soon to come. And though the cup may remain untasted, each and every year the cup is placed there as a crucial statement that the redemption from Egypt is yet to be fulfilled. Because it is a crucial event that marks the beginning of our sacred history, the Exodus is referred to repeatedly in Jewish liturgy and Jewish thought. For example, the Shema, the central prayer in Jewish liturgy, concludes with this verse from Numbers 15. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you out of that land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. At Passover, Jews are commanded to tell the story of the Exodus. This commandment, unique to this holiday, leads us not simply to remember the Exodus, but to expand upon the tale, to explore its complexities and develop its meanings. Thus, the Haggadah, the liturgy we use at the Passover meal, states, In every generation, behold, door of Ador, each person shall feel as though he or she were redeemed from Egypt, as it says, You shall tell your children on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I went free out of Egypt. For the Holy One redeemed not only our ancestors, he redeemed us with them. That quote from the Haggadah, the liturgy of the Seder, is repeated in English and in Hebrew at almost every Seder in the world. The uniqueness of the Passover service and holiday is encapsulated in that passage. It teaches that the Jewish history is a timeless present, that Passover is not simply a commemoration of an important event in our past, analogous to the 4th of July or Canada Day or Bastille Day, but an event in which we participated and in which we continue to be commanded to participate. We are meant to re-experience the slavery and the redemption that occurs each and every day of our lives. We are meant to understand that it is our own story, not just ancient history that we retell at Passover. One easily notes how it can be transformed from history into present tense. To relieve the experience, we are commanded to observe three rituals. The first one from Exodus 13, to tell the story of the Exodus. As the text states, remember this day on which we went free from Egypt, the house of bondage, how the Lord freed you from it with a mighty hand. And then we are commanded in Exodus 12 to eat matzah, unleavened bread. At evening you shall eat unleavened bread, states the Torah. And in Exodus 12, we are told from, that we are to re refrain from eating or owning chametz, leavened bread. Torah states, 
On the very first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day to the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. The focus for this reliving, this retelling, this re-emerging into the nuances of the Exodus experience is called the Seder. On the very first night of Passover, Jews gather together in families or groups to celebrate the ritual meal, just as they were commanded to do on that very last night in Egypt, when God commanded them to sacrifice a paschal sacrifice and to consume it in family groups or in community groups. The Hebrew word Seder means order, and the meal has a very carefully constructed order to it. The Seder includes many rituals, such as eating matzah and moror. Moror is the Hebrew word for bitter herbs. Drinking four cups of wine. Eating a sumptuous feast. Its many symbols are meant to remind us, on the one hand, of the bitterness of slavery, and on the other, of the great joy of our liberation. That is why we consume bitter herbs and why we also consume copious amounts of wine. In the midst of these rituals, of which there are many, we recite a special pedagogic and liturgical text known as the Haggadah. The word Haggadah comes from the root meaning to tell and reflects the purpose of the evening, the retelling of the story of the Exodus Celebrating the Seder by reading the Haggadah is one of the most widely observed practices in North American Jewish life. Eagerly anticipated, the Haggadah includes such parts as the four questions, known in Hebrew as Manish Tama, the four children, four types of children who ask questions, the songs, the most famous of one is Go Down Moses, sung in many churches, and the custom of stealing the afikom and matzah. But underlying the fun and warmth of family and friends gathered together is an important religious drama in which these props are the symbols. The script is the Haggadah, and the actors are our families, our friends, whoever would gather together to understand the drama. Passover is also a family holiday because of the importance it places on conveying the story and meaning of the Passover to the next generation. It is, according to tradition, the children's role to ask these four questions. It is our role to impress upon them the significance of the answers. For we understand fully what our children do not, that the future of the Jewish people lies with them. For that people to continue its 3,000-year history, In every generation, each and every one of us and each and every child must feel as though they themselves were slaves in Egypt and were redeemed. In this way, each new generation can take its place in the chain of the Jewish people, leading down from the Exodus to the present moment. Matzah, that flat bread, similar to a cracker, who God commanded us to eat, whose only ingredients are flour and water, you know, can be rectangular and can be round 
and it's made from a dough whose leavening process is interrupted. Why do we eat matzah? Well, God commanded it in the Torah. But Ramban Gamliel, who's quoted in the Haggadah, says the following. Matzah, why do we eat it? He asks. To remind ourselves that even before the dough of our ancestors could become leavened bread, the Holy One, God, revealed and redeemed them as it is written. And they baked the dough which they had brought from Egypt into matzah. Because it did not rise since they were driven out of Egypt and they could not delay, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Matzah then, the eating of the matzah either at the Seder or throughout Passover, is a reminder of the moment of the exodus from Egypt. And although we, are, we may eat matzah all during Passover, we are commanded to eat it only during the, save, the Seder. The opposite of matzah is what is called chametz. Chametz in Yiddish or chametz in Hebrew is a mixture of flour and water that is allowed to rise, thus becoming what we normally call bread. The laws of chametz are very strict and prohibit not only eating of it, but owning it during Passover. Thus, during the weeks before Passover, many Jews dispose of the chametz. They sell it to a neighbor or through a very complicated Jewish legal method, sell it to their synagogue or to their rabbi. During the weeks, we dispose of it by selling it to another. Some Jews throw it away, but rarely do they throw away all of their forbidden food. The night before Passover, there is a final ritual search for chametz, followed the next morning by a ritual burning of whatever remains. We also make a formal declaration renouncing ownership of any chametz, and that declaring any that remains in our homes is no longer part and parcel of our ownership. This is to ensure that we fulfill the biblical commandment. Since no food is permitted to have chametz, the tradition states that most of the processed food we eat during the year are, are not categorized as kosher for Passover without strict rabbinic supervision. Similarly, in order to avoid the violation of the biblical commandment to refrain from chametz, we are supposed to store away all kitchen utensils used throughout the year and use instead pots and dishes reserved for Passover. Of course, as one goes into the minutia of the Passover laws, it is more likely to find a spectrum of observance from those who are most observant to those who are least observant, though those, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, would more likely celebrate the Haggadah. All of these prohibitions on chametz are meant to mark off matzah as something special. Since we eat matzah in remembrance of the Exodus, we further refrain from eating chametz to emphasize the importance of matzah and its symbolism. Further, we refrain from chametz 
eating leavened bread or leavened products, as part of the process of personal liberation. In rabbinic interpretation, the words of the rabbis, chametz is seen as symbolic of the evil inclination, the yetzer hara. The removal of chametz is a metaphor for an inner process of purging and freeing ourselves of impurity, the chametz that lies within each and every one of us. That is why traditionally we go to such lengths to remove even the tiniest amount of material chametz. It is meant to signify the difficulty of the struggle to remove those negative parts of ourselves. In many Jewish homes, there is the equivalent of a major spring cleaning in order to remove all the parts of the chumetz, the leavened bread from the house. But the symbolic importance of removing chumetz is also to have a spring cleaning of the soul. If Passover is not only the story of the Exodus, but the story of our liberation so that we might be redeemed to serve the God of the Israelites and to meet God at Sinai, so too Passover is an opportunity for us to have a clean slate as we mark the beginning of the 40 days between Passover and the receiving of the Ten Commandments. Philo a Greek-Jewish philosopher, described chametz as pride because leavened bread is puffed up in relationship to matzah. To remove chametz, then, is to struggle with our sense of self-importance. Philo's sense of chametz also fits well with the interpretation of the Exodus story as a struggle between Pharaoh, a man who thinks he is divine, and God, the being who is divine. Thus, it was necessary to bring about plagues to humble Pharaoh and to teach him the answer to the question he so flippantly posed to Moses at their first encounter. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, declares Pharaoh, and I will not let Israel go. The Exodus story teaches us that is God, not human beings, not even a king who controls the world's destiny. In the searching for chametz, we search for the pieces of Pharaoh's arrogance that lie within each and every one of us. There are many, many traditions that are part of Passover. The Seder can take hours to perform and yet, the meaning of Passover is probably much more important than simply the participation in the Seder. At each Seder, the Seder begins by proclaiming Avadim Hayinu. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. The sacred history of our people does not start with the tale of great heroes or with the righteous founding fathers or the stories of innocent babes, for example, Romulus and Remus, the legendary founders of Rome, but with the tale of slaves. We begin not with a heroic chapter, but with a bleak one. We Jews know that slaves were the lowest social group in the ancient world, but instead of trying to rewrite history, 
and hide or erase this tainted beginning. Each generation of Jews proclaims the fact that not only our ancestors, but we are slaves emerged out of the morass of slavery. We are meant to remember the pain of the lash and the degradation of slavery in order to make us sensitive to the pain of others. We who were slaves and strangers should therefore understand God's command to understand the hopelessness, fear, and insecurity. Thus, the Torah persistently admonishes us to care for the poor, the orphan, and the widow, and the stranger. We are told to leave behind the fallen gleanings of the field for them, to ensure that they receive equal justice. Why? Because as Exodus 24 tells us, you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Our entire beginning as a people begins at that moment. The lesson of slavery could have been one of self-pity, to flaunt our suffering before others so that we convince them that we are owed because of our experience. We could have wallowed in our role of victim, or we could have learned to be more realistic about this harsh world, maintaining the only way to survive is to be constantly on guard. We could say, having been enslaved by a people who had first welcomed us, we must never again let our guard down. And there are certainly people who speak that way in the land of Israel. And there are people who say in the land of Israel, now we can trust only each other, everyone else out to get us. But what we understand that to believe these things, to act in this fashion, would mean that the Egyptians had taught us to be wary of the stranger and thus to be like Pharaoh. Instead, we are commanded, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the feelings of the stranger, having yourselves been strangers in the land of Egypt. Exodus 23. And Leviticus 19. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I, the Lord, am your God. The lesson of this holiday is not to act like Egyptians, but differently from them, not to fear the alien, but to welcome him. It is sometimes hard to recognize, with all the rituals surrounding Passover, the importance of this very powerful message, that liberation calls upon the Jew to remember their origins, not to forget them, to act as if they themselves have been liberated so that they would not impose oppression upon others. In future episodes, we'll talk more about the specifics of the Passover observance. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you shalom and have a good day. This episode can be heard as a podcast on the website of CHRI 99.1 FM or on iTunes. Shalom. 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 Shalom.